Hello out there and welcome back to the GamecockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GamecockScoop.com on Rivals. I'm Caleb, joined by Alan, and uh, I heard there's some some good news to discuss. Just a little bit. <laughs> uh, things have been going pretty, pretty well here this week in the portal. We've had six commitments. Uh, one was not a portal guy, one was a JUCO guy, but... Um, six commitments since Sunday. Um, I believe you put out a stat yesterday that they didn't get their first perm- commitment until December 18th last year. Yeah, it was um, Julo was the first one. A little ahead of schedule. Uh, we'll get into all of those guys, kind of break down the impact that they could make. Um, and I guess just how the general strategy seems to be working so far this year uh, versus years past. Before we get too far into that, let's talk a little bit of 2024 recruiting. Like I said, one of those guys was more of a traditional 2024 recruit, although he was Juco. Uh, that was Jerome Simmons, defensive tackle. Um, good depth piece, I think. Uh, someone that can definitely uh, make an impact early. I don't know that he is necessarily starting over any of the guys you have on campus right now, but um, I think he could make his way into the rotation for sure. We were talking a little bit before we got on here, um, and this will be kind of a theme as we talk about some of these other guys that they've landed or or are still in the boat for. Um, it definitely seems like they want to to make the three three five a little bit more uh, of their core concept. I mean, that doesn't mean that they're not they're not going to run the four two five still. I think they'll do a little bit of both. I think they have uh, guys that can be both, but um, really kind of have a deep, deep defensive tackle room at this point and could get even deeper before it's all said and done. Yeah, I think that's kind of your takeaway there with Simmons and also one other player we're going to talk about later is just you did – you feel good about what you have in defensive tackle up top. You have Boogie back. You have Tonka back. You have TJ Sanders back. But you lost Felix Hicks and you lost DeAndre Martin. Your bodies were just thin there at that point. So just adding two two, two defensive tackles in the portal, including the Juco guy um, – I'm not going to pretend like I've ever watched Jerome Simmons play football. Um, so I can't really get into a tape thing with that. But um, it's depth. It's a body. It kind of helps you do more of what you want to do. And I think it, I mean, it's, I think you learned last year more than anything that any position group can get wiped out by injuries pretty quickly. It was your O line last year, but who's to say it won't be de tackle next year if you have one and you just need bodies? Yeah. And some of the things that I guess won't necessarily stand out in our portal segment here in a little bit is the job that the staff did holding who your contributors together there as well. Um, You mentioned Sanders Huntley. There was some real talk of uh, Tonka Hemingway and LSU there for a minute, um, but you're able to uh, convince him to stay and and keep things uh, together there. So yeah, I think that's one of your strongest groups coming back into next year and you've added some depth already uh, very quickly into the off season. Um, a couple more 2024 like high school sort of notes. Um, Jalewis Solomon, who had a bit of a back and forth uh, com- or recruitment, um, signed with Auburn, flipped to South Carolina, flirted with Auburn again. Um, yesterday, he took to Twitter and just said that you know he's shut down his commitment or his recruitment. Um, he's fully committed to South Carolina, which is a good sign to see about a week out from National Signing Day. Wednesday, yeah. Uh, Maybe a note on the other side, Um, Rivals National Analyst Adam Friedman popped on to the Insiders Forum yesterday to let us know what he was hearing on Braden Lee. Um, Friedman's uh, focus is very much in that mid-Atlantic region. Um, And I'm just going to read verbatim 
what he said there. Uh, I kind of this I've heard the same things. I don't think it's like over by any means or anything like that, but uh, definitely something to keep an eye on with about a week to go before signing day. So he says, I was told by a source closely that he is not totally shut down his recruitment. Um, so Beamer and a couple of assistant coaches did a home visit with Lee this past week. Um, but he also took an official visit to Maryland this past weekend. Um, still listening to those guys at Maryland. So, you know, we've seen this before where, where Maryland and South Carolina have a little bit of a rivalry uh, budding, at least on the recruiting trail. Uh, a lot of that has to do with Beamer's emphasis on that DMV area. Um, obviously, this is a big-time DMV recruit. Uh, he went to the same high school as Desmond Numi Ozulu, uh, current South Carolina Edge. So it'll be interesting to see if anything changes in the next week there. Uh, but, you know, at least you won't be totally surprised, I guess, if things uh, do go the other way. Um, I think that that would hurt because I do think particularly uh, I think Lee could play some corner pretty early. Uh, that's one of your thinner positions on defense right now. I mean, you you do have some talent there. It's just a lot of unproven talent. So we'll have to see how how that plays out. Um, yeah, we'll have full signing day coverage next week, give you all the early enrollees, uh, give you an idea of when they'll be on campus. Most of the class uh, is expected to be there a little bit early. And I guess just one more note as we transition into talking about these portal ads, it seems like the strategy that, uh, you and I have discussed several times on this podcast and talked a little bit about on GameCocksGroup.com and like the weekly re recruiting wrap ups and stuff uh, where the 2024 recruiting class is small, um, top loaded, you know, all those things. And we talked about how they seemingly weren't getting into bidding wars for, for anyone that was kind of on the bubble there. Um, and we were hoping that that meant that they were, uh, kind of holding off and holding on to some NIL funds for the portal. Well, if this past week is any indication, it seems like maybe that is, uh, what's going on there, which to me, that makes a lot of sense, right? Uh, if you're going to play this bidding war game or whatever, I would much rather play it for someone that's already proven it on a college field versus uh, the relative unknown of high school prospects. Uh, you know, even the top end high school prospects can sometimes be a bust. So um, that's been interesting so far. All right, let's 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 run down the, the five portal commitments really quick. Um, starting on Sunday, you had, uh, Jerome Simmons. Simmons. Yeah. Uh, then you had coastal Carolina wide receiver, Jared Brown commit. Then you had man, an Attaway third. I believe you're right. So North Texas, running back, yeah. North Texas running back, Oscar Attaway. Um, we're going to break down each of these guys a little bit more in detail after I, after I ran down the list. Um, then you had Rocket another Sanders fourth. In Rocket Sanders, although I guess he didn't officially like come out on Twitter until last. Um, but basically it was a, uh, open secret that he had committed. Um, and then wide receiver Jade McGowan out of Vandy and then defensive tackle DeAndre Jules out of Pitt. That's your six. Five. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Um, <laughs> sorry, it's been a little bit of a crazy week. So let's kind of break down each of those. Obviously, I think the best place to start is the two running backs. So Oscar Attaway out of North Texas, 
is um, I think equivalent slash I personally think he's probably even got a little bit more upside uh, than Mario Anderson. And then obviously Rocket Sanders, he, I mean, he's the number two rated running back in the portal, um, has proven it in the SEC already. Um, I, I, I think without a doubt you've upgraded your running back room so far in the portal. I said yesterday on Twitter, um, Alan two underscores Cole, if you want to follow me, that other than Spencer Rattler, Rocket was the biggest portal ad of the Shane Beamer era. Do you agree with that? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, yeah, I guess like maybe Juice Wells uh, could be in the argument. But you didn't there. know at the time what right. Juice was going to be. This, you already know what Rocket is. He's a, a 1,400-yard rusher in 2022. I know he got hurt in 23. He wasn't himself this past season. Things kind of went away at Arkansas. But a healthy Rocket Sanders is a potential All-American, and I don't say that lightly. Like, he is that good. He proved it in 2022. Um I think another angle on this too is if Lenora Sellers is your quarterback, which it seems like it's trending in that direction, although we're going to talk a little bit more quarterback later in the show, I think you saw what Rocket can do kind of doing some of the zone read stuff, the RPO stuff with KJ Jefferson at Arkansas. I don't want to say Lenora Sellers is KJ Jefferson. That's not fair to Lenoris, but like you kind of saw Lenoris running some of that this year already. They used the package against Kentucky. He scored a touchdown on that against Vanderbilt. Like, you have pieces in place for an offense that was already pretty successful in the SEC not that long ago. And kind of a blueprint there. You need your offensive line's got to be good. Arkansas had a very good line two years ago, but it kind of tracks. You can see the idea very clearly. And I think that's, if not the biggest, other than Rattler, it's probably the most exciting if you're a South Carolina fan, other than Rattler, that they've gotten in the portal era. Especially, I think, just given the frustrations of running back the, the yep. last two years, um, you have to just feel like, okay, you finally have, at least for one year, because Rocket Sanders only has, I believe, one year left to play. It might be two. COVID years still messing with us. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, you just finally kind of breathe out a sigh of relief, at least at that position. Um, and Attaway, again, I don't think is uh, any slouch uh, in, on his own terms. Uh, he also has kind of dealt with injuries, uh, which has um, limited him a little bit. But he's still over three years is now 15th in North Texas history. Uh, he's had he's compiled 1,935 rushing yards uh, throughout his career there. Um, he never hit the 1,000-yard mark, um, but he's gone over 500 yards all three times that he's played significantly. Um but he has had two season ending injuries, I believe um, one was an ACL, um, but he bounced back and had a pretty productive year again this year too. So I think, you know, if you can keep both guys healthy, look out, you have one of the best running back rooms uh, that you may have ever had. Um, if you can at least keep one healthy or you know, they can stay, they can stagger each other with their injuries or whatever. Uh, I think you're obviously looking at a much better situation. And that's not even to mention DJ Braswell, Braswell um, still <laughs> going through this recruitment thing with Daniel Hill. Uh, keeps Matthew going back Fuller. and forth and uh, everything else. Yeah, Matthew Fuller, who obviously um, I think really blew up his senior year and showed uh, that he was a little underrated once he or after he had committed. Um, so yeah, I think you feel pretty and good. Juju McDowell, we didn't even mention him, but what does this do for him? You can kind of get him involved in the passing game more. You can use him more out. You can use him more as like a change of pace guy than the every down guy. I think this is going to help Juju more than anything too. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, kind of let him play that that role uh, that he played his first couple of seasons here, where um, you know you insert him in, and it's not <laughs> uh, putting him in a no win situation, I guess. Um, on the other side, wide receiver obviously was a big point of emphasis after Juice Wells left. Um, we have heard a little bit of smoke, I guess, that there's um, still some contact going on with Juice Wells. Uh, Twitter has responded in interesting ways to those <laughs> those rumors. Everybody's um, rational and fine. And if you also want to be rational and fine, there's an insider's forum on GameCogsGoop.com. You're welcome <laughs> to be rational and fine there. Yeah, um, so we'll see how that plays out. But we already know that there are two new wide receivers in the boat. Uh, Jared Brown out of Coastal, who I think has a really good upside. Um, he still has two years of eligibility remaining. Um, had 789 receiving yards and six touchdowns as a sophomore. And then basically the same thing, 740 yards and four touchdowns last year. Um, I don't know that he's like an alpha guy, but he's definitely a healthy part of a rebuilding wide receiver room. And the same for Jaden McGowan, who I think very much projects very similar to the way that Amari Brown did a little undersized, but very speedy. Um, as far as I can tell, this is kind of like his dream. Uh, he's from Lawrence. Uh, he was very happy to come back uh, to the state. Um, I heard there was a little bit of like back and forth on NIL negotiations, but you know, that's going to happen. And if you're a kid that can make some money, it's kind of in your best interest to push that as far as you can. So don't really blame them there. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that the wide receiver room still needs that elite number one guy. Um, and we can talk about who's still on the board that might fit that role, including maybe getting juice back. Um, but, uh, I do think these are two very solid pieces to add to that room. Uh, I'm going to start with Jared Brown. Um, that was, uh, that was a kid. I'll be honest. I covered him in high school a little bit when I was still in Georgia. That was three years ago now, but I kind of thought he should have had more offers in coastal then. Um, I just think the versatility here is really interesting. That's this is a guy that he's got a pretty good catch radius. He's a very explosive guy. I'm looking here. Seven different games last year, he had a catch of at least 35 yards. You can force the issue with him. You can push the envelope. Uh, they used him at running back a decent bit last year. He had a couple. He had 15 carries at Coastal. It's not a lot, but that means once or twice a game you're getting the ball out of the backfield in space. We've seen the kind of end around thing they like doing that. Scored a touchdown doing it that way last year. Um, I just think there's so much you can do with this piece. Uh, you're right. I don't think you're expecting a thousand yard season from Jared Brown. He's not Leggett. He's not Juice. I think he is on the field. He has a player defenses have to account for all the time. And he's going to be very good in space, whether that's with running the ball, whether that's over the middle, whether that's trying to get him involved vertically. Um, and he returned punts at Coastal too. So that's another thing you can add into the mix. And McGowan also was a returner. Uh, I think he had a kick return for a touchdown at Vanderbilt last season. That's something you're losing when you lose Leggett, your kick returner. Is Jaden McGowan the new kick returner? I think it's definitely possible. Um, again, not your number one. Probably not going to have 1,000 yards this year like Leggett did. But you're adding value there. And if you start stacking up a four of McGowan, Brown, Nick Harbour, Tyshawn Russell with Josh Simon as your starting tight end, I don't want to say you're happy – but it could be worse. Well, and I also think that 
you've proven that you can develop wide receivers here. We've seen yep. it with Xavier Legat. We saw it with Jalen Brooks. Um, I mean, if you go back to Steps' time before here, he developed uh, Traylon Bro- Burks at Arkansas. Arkansas yeah. um, there's another name that I can't even remember. Right now. Cortland, Col- Cortland Sutton. Sutton. That's it. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he's got a, he's got a proven track record. Um, so let's assume some of those guys do take a step forward. Uh, I think you're you're feeling pretty good. Granted, I still think you want that sort of alpha guy that you can uh, depend on for a little bit more explosion. But yeah, as far as Jared Brown goes to to steal a line from the solid verbal uh, national podcast or whatever, he's got a little bit of Debo Samuel in him, just a little bit. Uh, as far as just the uh, yeah the uh, versatility and and the way that he, you can use him in sort of jet sweeps and um, he breaks a lot of tackles. So he does. Uh, he's very good in space. And they've they have played some elite competition at Coastal over the last couple of years, just due to their improved profile and getting to play some bowl games against some upper level competition and stuff too. So um, he wasn't seeing it week in and week out like he will in the SEC, but it won't be his first time uh, dealing with Power Five opponents, I guess. Also, one more thing on the number one receiver point: Do we know that it's not going to be Nick Harbor? Is it's entirely possible your five star who flashed a lot last year just takes an offseason jump and Nick Harbor is your new number one. Yeah, I think that's the point I was trying to make with the wide receiver development uh, right. thing yeah. as well. So, like, um, we talked kind of throughout the year, but it seems like as soon as Harbor figures out that he's 6'5 <laughs> uh, and can uh, use that frame to sort of box out and stuff, uh, the sky is the limit for him for sure. And uh, people do need to keep in mind that even though he was a five star, he didn't play wide receiver at all before arriving at South Carolina. He played tight end and defensive end in high school. So um, I think they have him in the right spot and he could develop into, you know, obviously we keep making comparisons to people that have been there and done that and don't want to put uh, too much pressure on someone that's not there yet. But like he's got like a DK Metcalf sort of frame and and freak freakishness to him uh, and the way that he can move uh, that frame is just, yeah, putting it all together, uh, getting the technique down, all those sorts of things. So yeah, it's very, it's very, very possible. Um, We already talked a little bit about the defensive line, but I do think you got a good pickup yesterday and defensive tackle Deandre Jules Um, stats aren't super eye popping, but usually they're not. If you've been playing in the interior, um, it's more the stuff that doesn't show up on the stat sheet. Um, I believe you said, you know, maybe his best attribute is just that he started for a power five team for 12 games this past year. Um, you know, obviously he's kind of proven that he belongs on the field with the elite of the, of the country. Another body in there, another guy who's played big snaps, guy who's, uh, got a lot of college football under his belt. He's a grad transfer. So only one year of eligibility there, but he's played a ton of college football. Um, four years of experience. He's been around a lot of good D linemen at Pitt. Again, I don't, I don't think you just brought Aaron Donald to the transfer portal, but it's another body. You need those up front. I don't have anything bad to say about it. Uh, I think you got to take that for what it is, which is helpful. And I still think if you're going to transition into what you still have to do after getting six players in four days, I still think you need an edge or two. Um, you got to find some pressure from the outside of the portal. At least another body out there. We know that's something the staff looked at a lot, even after the portal, the winter portal window last year, adding Jatia's gear in the spring and Drew Tuzama in August. Um, I think, to me, 
other than what maybe another wide receiver, which we already talked about, that's still your biggest need left in the portal. Yeah, and I guess we didn't even mention this, but because it, it broke after we uh, did our visitors talk last week, I, I put it on the Insiders Forum on GamecocksGroup.com, which is why you should definitely follow that so you get up-to-the-date information in between uh, podcasts. But the Overton brothers from Texas A&M, including LT Overton, who was the number he was like a top five uh, prospect in 2022. We're on campus this past week. Um, I mean, I, I heard things went well. I, I don't, we'll see how that goes. You know, like they still have a lot more visits and options and all those things. Um, but that's another name on the defensive line to kind of keep in mind. And then if we transition to, to talk a little bit about edge, which I do think they uh, could really use an edge player, um, Georgia Tech defensive lineman Kyle Kennard. Um, I think he's supposed to be in today's Thursday today. Um, so, I mean, we'll see how that goes. Got to, got to hear on the back end, but he had six sacks last season, 11 tackles for a loss. Um, and you know, obviously another power five program. Um, I don't know. You're, you, it's going to be unlikely that you find like a true elite sort of edge guy in the portal. It's those guys don't move around very much. And if they do, they're very expensive, but, um, it seems like that could be a potential good depth piece. And you you need at least one or two more of those uh, as you continue to develop Desmond Umiozulu, who was a four-star uh, edge and needed to put on some weight. And then Dylan Stewart, who, of course, is a five-star. But even so, I mean, it's it's still hard to make an impact as a, as a true freshman. Very few people do. Yeah, and then one other name is going to be on campus this weekend. I think I wanted to shout out is Monroe Mills from Texas Tech. That's the six foot six, three fifteen offensive tackle, um, power five offensive tackle who started at another power five school who's in the portal. Um, I think that kind of says it all right there. That you just if you can get him in there, that's more depth for a position you desperately need depth in. What does that mean for shuffling? Jalen Nichols back next year, we presume. You obviously have big tree at left tackle. I believe Mills played right tackle at Texas Tech. So maybe that's your plug and play right there. Maybe you move other things around. Nichols interior. You just I do still think you could probably do with the other offensive linemen in the portal at some point. Um, especially still not fully knowing if Gorzulo is going to get his medical waiver for seventh year. So that's another one to keep an eye on. Yeah, agreed. I think a lot of the offensive line stuff is going to work itself out in the form of uh, high school recruits and injuries and the freshmen getting another year in the weight room and all those sorts of things. But um, I do still think you probably want to bring in a veteran or two just to fill out the depth. Uh, we've seen a few names pop up there. There was a kid from Furman. Um, for yesterday, yep. There was another Ivy League kid. I, I haven't obviously those aren't the flashy headlines or whatever. So I haven't done the deep dive on that just yet. Um, but yeah, it, I fully expect them to pick up an kid had an offer Carmona. That was last week. Yeah. I fully expect them to get an offensive lineman or two just to fill in some bodies there. Um, in the meantime, but you got Brady Hunt on campus this weekend too, which we haven't mentioned the former ball state tight end. Yeah. And I, I like where uh, Seth Ghana sits with, him as well. So uh, another name to, to keep on your radar. I will have even more names in tomorrow's weekly recruiting wrap up. Uh, talk about who has visited since my Tuesday night portal uh, article and who is set to visit this weekend. Um, but it, 
you know, at this point, I think it's been electric. You have to give uh, Beamer and company uh, credit for the way that the portal has gone so far, both in who you lost, because again, everyone lost people. Um, that is just going to happen across the board every single year. Go ahead and prepare people that you love and you can't believe that they would leave and it doesn't make sense for them to leave are going to leave. It just is. Um, it doesn't always work out either. We're we're kind of hearing that the Mario Anderson thing, maybe you got some bad intel. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I mean, you know, maybe he signs with a national championship contender tomorrow, but uh, everything I've heard sounds like that's not necessarily going to happen. Um, but anyway, I think you trade Mario Anderson for Rocket Sanders and Attaway 10 out of 10 times. Um, we'll see how the wide receiver thing shakes out. Obviously, Wells hurts. Um, but outside of that, I mean, I think that's the takeaway. We yeah. will have a better picture of this at this time next week. But we talked all of October, most of November, although there was a little bit of a time we thought they might stick into a bowl game about, okay, 2023 is lost. What can you still get out of 2023? That's keeping the ship afloat, keeping things together, holding things, kind of holding this idea for the program's future intact, even through a clearly the worst year to be rare so far. We talked a lot about, okay, it's going to be two things. It's going to be holding it together in the portal and keeping this national signing class, keeping this signing class together through signing day. Well, I, I don't want to say you're done in the portal because I know they're not, but you've got six names in. You kept most of your team intact. We didn't mention Mitch Jeter. He's off to Notre Dame now, but you have a kicker of your recruiting class in Mason Love and Alex Herrera is still there. So I think you're going to be okay at kicker. Um, you kept all three of those defensive tackles. O'Donnell Fortune in Florida with Florida. We know he's back. You, I think, I think, I mean, other than Juice and Mitch, you didn't lose anybody who was going to start next year, I don't think. I guess Mario would have, but not anymore with Rocket and Attaway there. So, yeah. Maybe Omega Blake, but, you know, again, I, I don't know that Omega Blake is significantly better than the two wide receivers you just picked right. up. Um, so, yeah, the question is, can you find your juice replacement or is your juice replacement juice all along? Um, <laughs> you held it together and we'll uh, see about that signing class, how, many, how much of that gets over the finish line, at least through the early period uh, on Wednesday. And I, yeah, I actually think that you're in pretty good shape with pretty much any everyone. The only potential flip that I've heard about uh, is Braden Lee. That's one to kind of keep an eye on. And that would hurt, but it's not the end of the world. You've done pretty well in DB recruiting. You have a, a DB that I think you're leading with and uh, Jalon Kilgore's brother, Gerald Kilgore. Oh, yeah, we didn't even uh, mention him portal-wise. Yeah, another portal guy that visited... Uh, South Carolina is in the top three uh, with West Virginia and Florida Atlantic. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I think you're in good shape. And I think this is just the first portal period. We did see a couple of spring additions last year as well. Um, so I think um, you have to feel optimistic at this point. And also worth noting that players can't enter the portal after January 2nd, I believe, but you can still sign players that are in. You just The, the, right. the pool is just not going to get bigger. Right. Um, and yeah, I guess if you want to be cautiously optimistic, there's still two weeks for some weird stuff to happen with South Carolina players and all those sorts of things. Uh, hopefully not. But um, all right, let's bring <laughs> let's bring some uh, levity to the situation. So um, the 2024 schedule came out last night for South Carolina. 
Um, we've been talking about the upgrades that they've made for the 2024 season, which I think are true. I think already, if everything just kind of locks into place, you probably feel better across the board with your with your 2024 roster than your 2023 roster. But <laughs> yeah. uh, let, let, let me really quickly run down the schedule as it was announced last night, and then we can kind of break down uh, game by game or, or some of the things that stand out for us. So you open up the season at home versus Old Dominion. Nice. Should be a win. Should be a warm-up game, which, of course, you did not get this past season uh, having that neutral side game against North Carolina. Uh, week two at Kentucky. And then week three at home versus LSU. And then week four at home versus Akron. So those first four games, I mean, that LSU game is obviously going to be tough, but um, not terrible. That seems like a, a stretch that you could realistically come out of three and one. And if you, you know, everything clicks on this roster immediately, maybe four and oh, you I think that's the best that. time to catch LSU is just they, they are going to lose the Heisman Trophy winner quarterback and have to replace him. And that, uh, I know they have a big week one neutral site game, uh, but that is their first. Whoever the new quarterback is, that'll be his first true road game. That game at South Carolina. Yeah, and as we've seen, you know, uh, for years now, Williams Bryce is not the most fun atmosphere for people to play in uh, in their first game, uh, especially um, if you are coming off a win at Kentucky. We'll see. Uh, but if you start out two and zero and have LSU at home with a new quarterback uh yeah i some weird things could happen uh then you run into your first bye week so there are two bye weeks for the 2024 season with the expanded schedule um or the ex expanded sec schedule um october 5th and then it gets tough yeah this this stretch is really going to make or break the 2024 season this these next four games so october 5th you're at home versus ole miss um they are kind of like you in the sense of you kind of know what you have from last year, but also they're always active in the portal. We'll see what that team looks like at that point, October 5th. Then you have to go back to back. And this is the really brutal part to Alabama on October 12th and then to Oklahoma on October 19th. Luckily you get a bye week right after that, but um, yikes, that's, that's going to be tough. Remember when we I thought at Mizzou and at A&M was a tough road back to back <laughs> for last season's schedule and at the same time of year was late October. Yeah. And that, I think that's one of our takeaways is that October is tough. Once again, um, you get your second bye week after that, which is again, is a little bit of a reprieve. And then I do think that they gave you a break a little bit um, because they put you on that two game brutal road stretch road stretch. Uh, the rest of the way uh, you get, home versus Texas A&M at Vanderbilt, which, you know, never that scary of a place to play home versus Missouri home versus Wofford. And then you'll end the season at Clemson, which of course uh, flips every year regardless. So let's look at the road games real quick. You're at Kentucky at Vanderbilt at Clemson, which is whatever, but that, the, that two game road stretch at Alabama and at Oklahoma is just really, really brutal. Um, other than that, all right, I guess, what do you want to say about that? And then other than that, what else stands out to you about the schedule? I don't have a ton to add to the Alabama-Oklahoma thing. That's about as tough of a back-to-back -back as any team in the country is going to have next year, just doing that two straight road weeks. Um, I don't have much to add there. My other my kind of takeaway, I guess, is it, it kind of goes back to what you said about Kentucky and LSU, but 
I think you're two and two minimum at the first buy because you're going to beat Old Dominion and Akron. If you find a way to split Kentucky LSU and you're three and one going into that first buy, I think you're feeling good going into a pretty big game against Ole Miss coming out of that buy. Um, and I agree about the. I think it kind of works both ways. Like you got LSU at a good time, but I think you got AM at a bad time. You want a first year coach early before they figure stuff out. Well, you got them in November. Um, Mizzou's, but off of a bye. And another quirk that I think you noted yesterday is South Carolina doesn't have to play anyone off of a bye. That's true. Yep. SEC threw him a bone there. Uh, I think that only happened once last year. I think it was AM, which that game didn't go well. But um, I think it kind of sets up similar to how we talked about last year, right? With swing games in September, this year it was North Carolina, Mississippi State, and Tennessee, which you lost two out of those three. Brutal October, you're going to have to just keep keep yourself together. And then November kind of looks okay. You've got, you definitely think at least two games banked with Vanderbilt and Wofford. If you split A&M and Missouri even, that's three games in November you feel like you're going to win. And from there, you're just trying to figure out Clemson and I think it's very similar to last year's season, honestly, but maybe with a tougher October, even if that's possible. Yeah. Um, I think no matter what happens, uh, two and two is probably your best case scenario from October 5th to November 2nd. So Ole Miss, Alabama, Oklahoma, Texas A&M. Yeah. Um, but, you know, whatever, that that would be fine. If you get two and two there, you're you're pretty happy. But then that does mean that you have to win the games that are in front of you and, and winnable uh, all, all along the rest of the schedule. Um, and as we saw this past year, if you don't, if you drop a two-touchdown lead against Florida, uh, right. then you can very quickly be on the bowl bubble. I think Kentucky's year, we talked last about the UNC game, about going to Arkansas in week two in 2022. You're going to Lexington. That's the first, not just their first SEC game, the first SEC game on the calendar for anybody in 2024. I have no idea what to make of Kentucky right now. Got the transfer quarterback in from Georgia, Brock Vandegrift. He's played a little bit. He has not started before. Um, you know, it's a Mark Stoops team. Those games are always close. They're physical. Um, I feel like that might be where you, if you feel like you can run the ball better, rock it out of way that plays well in a game, like what usually Kentucky's going to try to throw at you. But it is on the road, and it's early, and that's going to be, you know, if we're going to mention LSU's new quarterback's first true road start, it's going to be Lenoris's first true road start, too, if he ends up as the starter. So you got to factor that in. Yeah, I mean, way too early look at the offense or whatever. Um, I think – as productive as the offense was this year at times, uh, two things were sorely lacking, which was offensive line depth, obviously, uh, which was a problem in both the run game and pass game all season long. I think that automatically is going to be much better next year. Um, and then the second thing was even when your offensive line was sort of functioning, you just didn't have uh, the Jimmies and Joes at running back. Um, and I think you have that, in spades uh, now, at least comparatively. So I don't know. The offense is probably going to look different than it did in 2023. Um, but I think you have the stage set for a lot more balance, even if you don't have Lenora Sellers chucking it around at an NFL level uh, like Spencer Rattler did through most of this year. Well, that's the other thing about having what you feel like is a swing game in week two. I mean, Knock on wood, barring camp stuff, spring game stuff, our old Dominion stuff, you're going to be pretty healthy 
going to Kentucky week two, you would think, you would hope that early in the season. Um, so you're going to have a full uh, a full chamber to work with there. Um, that just feels like one of those games that if you win it, you're already talking about, ooh, is this going to be one of those up years? And if you lose, it's going to be a very here we go again from the fan base. I know. I kind of uh, talked about when we were texting about it last night, LSU is like the Arkansas or North Carolina game, but actually I feel like it's that Kentucky uh, road trip um, that starts to shape the direction of your season. Now, obviously South Carolina lost to Arkansas and lost to North Carolina the past two years. And uh, two years ago, that didn't keep you from going eight and four and having a great season or whatever. Um, Last year, I mean, that was kind of one of those difference-making games between being in a bowl or not. Um, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Not everything hinges on that road trip to Kentucky. But I do think it's a pretty good early season test that uh, lets you know if you want to be unreasonably excited or not. Yeah, that's probably a good way <laughs> to put it. Um, um, yeah. Any other, I guess, notes on the, the schedule or, or notes on what we've seen through the first week of the portal period? I think that's about all I had. Just looking at the schedule one more time. I mean, just figure out October. That's I think that kind of is where this all comes back to. I think you mentioned the A and M game too, but really it's Ole Miss, Alabama, Oklahoma. That's three ten plus win teams, two top ten teams, two of those games on the road, back to back to back weeks. Yeah, uh, not fun. It kind of reminds me. And of course, this was a much better South Carolina team, um, but of 2012, where you had Georgia, LSU, Florida stacked back to back to back, and you went one and two through those. Even though that was a really great uh, team, um, you you beat Georgia and were riding high at number three in the country or whatever. And I think then, if you go one and two in October, you feel really good because that means you either got a big home win over Ole Miss or you somehow won one of those two road trips. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, if, Like I said, through that stretch, including Texas A&M, if you go two and two, the sky is kind of the limit for your season, assuming you've taken care of business up to that point. Um, yeah. But that's a pretty big if. Um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit of basketball before we get out of here. There's been quite a bit that's happened on the hardwood since we last talked. I believe we talked the morning of the Clemson game last time. So yes. uh, men's basketball – Gave up, uh, what was it, a 10-point lead um, on the road. And Little John, you were there. Uh, I guess quick takeaways from that. Um, and then, of course, they bounced back over the weekend with a tough road win at ECU. Um, there are, what, four non-conference games left mm-hmm. before we get into the conference schedule here at the end of the month. Um, yeah, what's our, what's our status report on, report on men's basketball uh, at, what are they, 7-1, and 8-1? 8-1, one, yep. Uh, circling back to Clemson, you know, that before you go forward, obviously it sucks to lose a rivalry game. It sucks to lose a game. You had a 10 point lead in. I think he did lose to a better team as much as South Carolina fans don't want to admit that Clemson's really, really good. PJ Hall's an all American. They just kind of, it just kind of got away from you in the second half a little bit. Your offense wasn't running as well. Um, I think he had some kind of younger inexperienced team moments there. Maybe not experienced, but not playing together as well. Your sets weren't as, put together, you had a couple defensive breakdowns. There was one Lamont really was mad about out of a timeout. You just let a guy wide open in the corner for a three for Clemson. Um, so that's going to happen. But I thought they responded well. Um, 
Obviously not this, quite the same caliber opponent, but you went on the road and beat a team who beat you last year. Um, you had to grind out a close game. That was, like, I think that was a one-point game in the last minute before you hit some free throws. You got a late stop. Stephen Clark um, stood up a guy in the post. Um, and you split your two road games, which we talked about on the show last week, that if you split those two, you've got four left, all at home, all against teams that are well below you. Um, three of them outside the top 310 palm. It's starts Saturday. It's Charleston Southern, Winthrop, Elon, and Florida A&M. You, you like your odds of winning all four of those games, and you're uh, you're twelve and one before SEC play starts in January. Yeah, to me, with the Clemson game, uh, Michi started off like absolutely electric in the first half, yeah. um, and inevitably kind of came back to earth. And when you came back to earth, you didn't have a counterpunch, uh, which throughout the season thus far, that's been BJ Mack a lot of the time. Um, not that he played a, a bad game necessarily, but it just. Um, didn't didn't quite work out timing wise. Uh, you went cold at a, at the wrong time, all those sorts of things. Do I think if you play that game ten times, uh, you know Clemson is clearly better? Uh, I don't know. Maybe they went six out of ten or That's something kind of like what I'm that. Too. Um, I think Clemson's probably going to be a t- bubble tournament team. I think you proved that you can play, and you've you've proved throughout this non conference schedule that you can play with almost anyone on any given night. Um, and then, yeah, sometimes it's going to be how hot you're shooting or not, especially when you're so dependent on the three, the way that you have been uh, through the first part of the season. That's a live or die sort of thing, right? It, it can keep you uh, in games that maybe you're slightly uh, out athleted on. Like, like you said, BJ Hall is the best dude, in the, dude on the floor uh, the other night. Um, but, also, when it when they're not falling, they're not falling. What do you want to see these last? I think we'll probably record maybe twice before conference play starts. After this, you got like I said, four games all at home, all against teams you're going to be heavily favored against. What do you want? To, other than just taking care of business, what do you kind of feel like you need to see before conference play from this team? Man, it's kind of hard to ask for much more That's, yeah. than, than you've already seen because it's just such a stark improvement from last year um you have seen people other than michi uh pick it up and and score on any given night um you've seen a lot of patience uh with passing the ball around and and finding the open shot um i think in a lot of ways this team is functioning the way that lamont paris wants it to and i think you're getting up about the the most you can out of it. Um, does that mean that you're going to win every game going forward? No. Uh, but I think if you continue to play like you have through the non-con into conference plays, you're, you're going to win a lot of games. That's kind of where I am on it too. Um, and we can get into math in January, February, but with a 12 and one non-con, I feel like you, I mean, you still got to probably go at least 500 in the SEC or get close, but you feel yeah. decent about yourself there. But yeah, I'd, before the season, I would have said 500 in the SEC is unattainable, and I yeah, no longer true. feel that way. You know, I feel, I feel like that's a, a possible goal. Um, as far as the women go, uh, they <laughs> had a um, super exciting game against Morgan State. Uh, I covered that one. Uh, they scored 100 points. That was pretty much the entirety of the game thread once we reached halftime was, are they going to score 100 points or not? 
Uh, they did. Um, I don't even remember the t- the final now. I, it was like a hundred and thirty-eight or something. Yeah. Uh, but then on Sunday they played against number eleven Utah on a neutral floor game in Connecticut. Was that like some sort of sh- showcase or something? Yeah, like, there was two other games there. Gotcha. Um, that was a really interesting game, I thought, uh, because Utah had maybe the best player on the floor uh, in and and Lil is that how you say her name? Alyssa Peely, I think so. You say her name? Peely. Yeah. Um, I got. I just like put her first and last name together. <laughs> anyway, uh, Peely, um, who scored like forty points. I can't remember her exact stat line off the top of my head, but. South Carolina didn't have an answer for her the, the entire time, but uh, they kind of proved that they had the better overall team, despite maybe Utah having the best overall player in the game or the most productive overall player in the game. Um, and yeah, they led wire to wire despite several runs from Utah and and and, and several moments where uh, Peely looked to take over the game. Um, you know, they still out rebounded, even though. Peely got her own share and um yeah I I it was an interesting game I think another test that you passed if you're the women's basketball team and we've talked about we don't think that they're probably going to go undefeated throughout the year but they keep getting up for these Winning. games <laughs> yeah and they keep getting up for these games that uh are against the top flight opponents that could potentially beat them so yeah I kind of think that's your takeaway is just your nine games in and now you've played the Top fifteen when you or twenty of the top fifteen played them and you want all of them, two of them on the road. Um, you're just finding different ways to win. I think that's kind of the main thing I would say right now is you know you weren't shooting as well, but then full while he hit I think it was three threes on Sunday. You got a big shot from Pow Pow late. Um, Ashley Watkins played really well Sunday. Kind of your bench energy right now. I think you're just finding different ways to win. The one thing I would say, if you're talking about fine margins for a team trying to win a national title, it's turnovers. That's three games. Well, take out Morgan State. Three games in a row against Power 5 teams, you've been over 15 turnovers. That can't continue. And even though the schedule is going to lighten up for them, too, here they've got three lighter games before conference play. I think you got to – if you want to see something, if you're looking for something to watch these last three pre-SEC games, they got to take care of the ball better starting Saturday against Presbyterian. Yeah, and that is one of those things where you – you realize that the youth that they have is a factor. Yeah, for sure. they're, they're young and talented, but also young and sometimes make mistakes. Um, granted, I think that that's something that can get fixed over the course of the season. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that Don Staley has proven over the course of her career as a coach is that um, she can get you playing right once you get to March or whatever. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, any other notes on basketball? This has been an exam week, so they yeah, haven't played at all during the week, but then there's a doubleheader on Saturday that you'll be in Colonial Life Arena for both of, right? Yep. Uh, women play at 1, the men play at 6, if I have that right off the top of my head, and then the women aren't at home again until conference play. The men are at home three more times. Free concessions, not all concessions, but like some of the basic items they put out on release this week. If you're in Columbia and you want – I don't know, free water and a free hot dog at a basketball game. Come to one of the games in December. They're doing free concessions the rest of the month. Uh, good teams to support, good teams to watch right now. Um, and a double dip on Saturday to get back in the swing of things after exams. Yeah, that seems like a fun uh, family activity and, you know, inflation. You know, get that free hot dog. Yeah, um, for sure. And, and Saturday, you're likely to see two wins. So if yep. you uh, 
if you like to to see when. So, so yeah, the women are playing uh, Presbyterian at one Eastern on Saturday. You can keep up with the game thread and see if they score a hundred on the insiders forum on gamecupscoop.com. And then men's basketball has Charleston Southern uh, at six Eastern. And that'll be, I mean, obviously uh, South Carolina is favored. Um, maybe a little bit closer than the women's game, but y'all get on the insiders forum and keep me entertained between games. Gonna have a couple hours to kill there at CLA. Yeah. Uh, and then tomorrow I'll have some more portal news, uh, start to look ahead at national signing day and, um, we'll just keep it rolling on gamecarscoop.com. We'll be back here next week to talk about everything that's transpired, which is a lot this time of year. Yeah. Uh, until next time, this has been the gamecarscoop.com podcast. We'll see you.